Welcome to the Prayer Storm Podcast. We hope this teaching will encourage you and equip you to live a lifestyle of holiness and intercession. Don't forget James's new book, Life on Fire, is out now. It's our first release from Prayer Storm and it's available on prayerstorm.org. The link is also available in the podcast description. Reading from uh, uh, Genesis 12, just read a few uh, scriptures in there. I'm going to start from verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing and I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now that's verse 4. So fast forward to verse 7, Genesis 12, 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham, and well, Abraham actually, Abraham, because the name hadn't changed at this point. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to, uh, and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abraham journeyed going on still towards the south. I'm going to stop there. And uh, over the last few weeks, I've been very stirred about Abraham and about his journey of faith. I believe the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so you read the Old Testament and go, one earth is all this stuff about killing this animal and, you know, this many shekels and this many whatever. There is deep revelation in Scripture if you allow the Holy Spirit to show you. So don't fall into the trap to think the Old Testament is irrelevant because there's a pattern that God has for us. And Abraham, known as the father of faith, means if you want to grow in your faith journey, Abraham has patterned something that you can draw from. He was a pilgrim. He was one of, if not the first pilgrim in search after God. So he was trailblazing. And if the Holy Spirit will open our eyes to see how he led Abraham, we can get a glimpse of how he's leading us in these days. Are you hearing me today? So Abraham and these kind of stories we read in scripture, they're not just things we read about and go, yeah, that's amazing. And that happened so many years ago, or maybe even doubt if it really happened. No, there is so much truth and revelation that God wants to speak to you now about people like Abraham. And so I, over the last few weeks, I've just found that the Lord has been stirring my heart about Abraham's journey and how God used him. Because in many ways, God used Abraham to possess a land, even before his descendants physically possessed the land. And there's some principles and there's some things that we see from the way Abraham followed God that I believe is the calling God has on us, his people, if we're going to possess this land. 
So Abraham was called to possess a land, right? We're called to possess this land. When I say possess it, I don't mean in a kind of, uh, uh, kind of, you know, it's all about us kind of thing. In terms of the advancing of the kingdom of God, the purpose of God, the agenda of God. We are called to release the life of God like never seen before. We are called to release the kingdom of God everywhere we go. Such that, this is the prayer we pray. Earth becomes like heaven. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done, right? Isn't the prayer that His will be done on earth? Well, that is taking possession. I mean, the earth is already the Lord's and we know the enemy is rebelling against the victory of the cross. Okay, because Jesus said it is finished, right? I was talking a few weeks ago, I got the opportunity to speak to some professional footballers, which was fun. I'm not that much into football, so don't ask me who I support. I'm not going to tell you because I know that could cause a war in here. (laughs) However, I... Uh, was speaking to these footballers and it was a great time. And one of them at the end got in touch and was asking me a question about feeling like um, he was caught in this place where he was tussling between kind of almost like two paradigms. And maybe you've been in this place where he said he spent some time fasting and seeking God and he got this revelation of the rest of God and entering into the rest. And so he said that he felt this tension of when he wants to enter into the rest of God, it feels like when he is resting, in quote, he's losing his zeal. And it feels like when he's zealous, he doesn't want to be striving. Anyone knows what I'm talking about? <laughs> so he's in this place. So it was like, well, how do you do the two? So I said to him, you're going to have a revelation of what resting really means. Resting does not mean absence of activity, spiritual activity. Okay, so I, I, I use the illustration, which I want to use here. In fact, no, I didn't use this with him, but I want to start with this. Jesus, when he was sent into the desert by the Holy Spirit, and he went into fasting and went into prayer, the first thing that actually led to that kind of, uh, you know, being sent out was a revelation where the Father said, this is my beloved Son, and I'm well pleased with you. So, Jesus entered into that revelation and rested in it. If he didn't rest in that revelation, he would not have been sent out. In fact, if he didn't rest in that revelation, he would have fallen to the temptation when the enemy said, if you are the beloved son of God. No, the enemy didn't say that. The enemy said, if you are the son of God, then he missed out the word beloved. (laughs) Because the enemy doesn't want you to know that you love. Like Matt said, when you pray, imagine God smiling. The enemy does not want you to know that. So, When the enemy tempted Jesus, if he wasn't resting in his identity as to what the Father said about him, he would have been trying to prove who he was and that would have been striving. But the fact that he was fasting did not mean he was striving. He was outworking the move of the Spirit. So this is the revelation I wanted to catch. The finished work of the cross is the platform for the current work of the Holy Spirit. The fact that Jesus said it is finished does not mean you are finished. (laughs) The fact that Jesus did his work on the cross does not mean you just sit down, oh yeah, pastor, bless me, make me feel good. I'm just going to bask in the love of God. I'm not going to reach out and evangelize. I'm not going to intercede. Oh, you guys are just striving. Oh, why are you fasting? It's already finished. No, that's a lie from the pit of hell because Jesus said it is finished and the Holy Spirit through Paul said we wrestle. So you're just going to sit there and say it's finished when there's wrestling going on right here? Current tense. For we do not wrestle against... So the wrestling is happening right now. And you just want to sit there. If you're going to sit there and say you're just going to relax and not actually progress in your spiritual kind of uh, uh, intensity, like it says in Matthew 11, the kingdom suffers violence and the violence taken by force. That intensity of pursuit... 
I, listen, I've been there. If you choose to just chill out spiritually, you're going to backslide. There is no two ways about this if you just choose to do nothing. Now, Abraham is showing us a pattern that I want to point out to you. First off, he had to be consecrated because he had to come out. He had to be called out. Called out from his comfort zone. You will not step into what God has called you to step into until you come out of what he called you out of. There had to be a disconnection which led to a consecration before there could be elevation into his next dimension. Don't ask me to repeat that. (laughs) So Abraham had to go through a process of disconnection from his familiarity or familiar zone, comfort zone. And then in there was consecration. And in the consecration, there became an elevation into what? His next dimension. And his next dimension, we see right here, God said, I'll lead you to a land. So The way God worded this to Abraham was in a way where Abraham receiving that word would not know what that land was. He was being led in faith. It's like being blind, he was just moving. And he was was moving and just waiting for God to speak. So God spoke and then he was moving and was going to then keep uh, waiting for the next revelation from God to confirm if he was in the right place or not. So here we see in verse Seven. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, "And said to your descendants, I will give this land." So Abraham started without knowing the land, and then later on, the Lord appeared to him. This is the first time we hear we read about the Lord appearing to Abraham. So we don't know if that was a vision or if that was a. We, we don't know what the what that encounter was, but it was a significant encounter, and in many ways, it was a sovereign encounter. So Abraham has the Lord appear to him and then say, now, this is the land I'm going to give to you. So Abraham now has a revelation that the land is not just something out there. He's actually in it. And because he realized he was in the land the Lord has promised him, somehow he had spiritual... See, we, we in the Western church, we need to have spiritual intelligence. The fact that you've received the prophetic word and God has called you to do something does not mean just run out there and do it. If you have spiritual intelligence, you know you have to pave the way spiritually before you step into whatever God calls you into. See, this thing we're doing right now called prayer storm, I never heard an audible voice. Maybe I've heard an audible voice once in my whole life. But I never heard an audible voice, James, do prayer storm. All I know was as I was seeking God, I just got a lead in. I just got a sense. And you know, most of you, you got to realize a lot of the ways God's going to speak to you is by the inward witness of the Holy Spirit in your heart. It's not always going to be audible voice and it's easy to miss it. Like you open up the fridge and you hear, fast. (laughs) That moment, you have a choice to lean into that voice or ignore it. And when you ignore it, it's going to go away now. The last time you heard God was really the last time you obeyed him. So if you've not been listening and leaning in, when he said fast and you went for the yogurt and the burgers and everything, right? You missed out on an opportunity in God in that moment. And until you repent and get your heart right, you over time will start to lose your sensitivity. 
because it came the first time you ignored, the second time it came you ignored, guess what? He's going to back out until you actually show you're serious. Because why is he going to keep speaking if you're not going to keep listening and obeying? Not just listening, but obeying. You think you love God because you cried in the worship? No. <laughs> Crying in a worship service does not mean you love God. You know what means you love God according to Jesus' definition? Obedience. If you do, not if you cry. If you do. So the action is what he's looking for. So don't just say, Lord, I love you. And Lord, I want more of you. Maybe shut your mouth and stop saying you want more. And try to align your actions. So that when you have the mouth to articulate what's been going on, it carries more weight. Because now, it's not just words speaking. It's a life that's backing up the words. So Abraham had to align himself to God's agenda. As he stepped into that land, the Lord then said to him, this is the land. And you know, he had spiritual intelligence. You know what he did next? He says, to your descendants, I'll give this land. He says, and there, Abraham built an altar. Now let's read on actually. Abraham built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. Then he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and he pitched his tent with Bethel. And if you read on, you find that Abraham has a kind of way of doing things. He pitches tents and builds altars. Some people are pitching altars and building tents. The fact that he built represents the, 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 his intention for something there to be permanent. Whereas he was a pilgrim making, he was journeying, God was leading him. And there was still another destination, even though God appeared to him there. Now, this was a sovereign appearance. God opened his eyes. And this can be likened to your salvation, where, you know, yes, God has been chasing after you. And yes, you said yes to God, but really God had been running after you. And when you have those kind of encounters, it's a place where you now need to, by spiritual intelligence, build an altar. You might go, well, what on earth does it mean to build an altar? It doesn't mean you take up stones and you start to put them there and get some, you know, chicken and you sacrifice. Now, I'm not talking about that. Although I used to kill chickens when I was in Nigeria. Lord, have mercy on me. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if I'm serious about that. <laughs> so... There is spiritual connotations to Abraham's actions. When he built the altar, the altar is so key. The altar is a place of encounter. The altar is a place where the spirit realm meets the natural realm. The altar is a place of spiritual activity. The altar is a place of sacrifice. So all these definitions I'm speaking out, they represent what an altar is. So when you bring it into the New Covenant, the New Testament, an altar is a place of meeting with God. Are you with me? So he built a memorial. What's in Psalm 91? He who dwells in the secret place. And we have to remember, it doesn't say he who visits the secret place. It says he who dwells. So there's something about permanence. And so... This altar had a texture to it because every altar Abraham built, about four altars, they were all unique and different. 
and they had a texture to it. And this one came as a result of a sovereign move of God. And because of that sovereign move, it instigated this, 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 uh, this reaction in him. And one of the ways you start to capture how God, because, listen, you have to be a student of the move of God in your life. You have to start to look back and understand how God has been meeting you, how God has been speaking to you, how God has been working in your life. You have to, because if you don't, no one else is, and you're going to miss out on some of the unique ways God is trying to communicate specific things to you. The fact that God spoke to me in a certain way does not mean He's going to speak to you in that way. Even if you engage in the exact same activity I engaged in, spiritually speaking, I went on a 40 day fast, I went on a 40 day fast, and something happened in a certain way to me, does not mean you go on the same fast and the same thing is going to happen to you. Because we're all uniquely made and different and so in this encounter Abraham had actually yeah what I was going to go was when when God encounters you in a special way it's important you start to come before God seeking for ways to not lose the fire of that encounter in that moment you know it says in Leviticus the fire on the altar shall not go out but it shall burn day and night that's my paraphrase so the idea is God does a supernatural work in you, but you have to engage that work by natural maintenance. It's a supernatural work, but you have to engage that work by your activity. So don't say, oh yeah, I'm striving now because I'm waking up at whatever time. And by the way, this is going to look like, like it's going to cost you because on, a sacrifice, on, a, on an altar, it's sacrifice. An altar is not really effective without sacrifice on it. So you are the sacrifice. <laughs> and so God may be calling you to wake up at some strange hours. Or God may be calling you to pray in a certain way. Not because you're trying to earn something, but you're trying to maintain an encounter you had two months ago and you don't want to lose the, the freshness, the reality of that. Because you know what it's like. You can have an encounter with God even here tonight and by two months down the road, you've forgotten about it. Because there was nothing built around it to keep you connected to it. So Abraham built this altar. But this is not where I'm going. Look at what happens next. This altar was a result of a sovereign visitation. The next altar he built, he says he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built another altar to the Lord. But this altar, this, this second altar, the second altar Abraham built, this one we're about to look at now, he didn't build this because the Lord appeared to him. Look at what it says. He built this altar, so it appears that this was Abraham's own choice. The first altar he built was almost like God stirred something and he responded because he says he built the altar to the Lord who appeared to him. So the Lord appeared and he built. This one, he didn't build to the Lord who appeared to him. Look at what it says. He says, he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abraham journeyed. So in fact, that's it. That's it. He built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So the texture of this altar is different to the texture of the first altar. What characterizes this altar is the fact that Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Do you know what that is? Prayer. Abraham cried out to God. Even though God had encountered him some whatever months back, whatever many days back, he didn't just stay there. He 
built another altar in a different location. And what was the texture of this altar was his hunger and his cry to the Lord. And this is important because, see, God's promise to Abraham was that he was going to give him the land. To possess the land, you have to build altars on the land. So God has called us to possess Manchester. Or God has called you, those of you watching online, to possess your city for the kingdom. For you to have the spiritual influence necessary to tip the balance and usher in the move of God, you have to not just have a sovereign move, you have to now translate to building your altar where you call on the name of the Lord. And to altars have to be serviced. Altars, like I said, have sacrifice. And altars are connected to acts of consistency in prayer, in worship. So when you engage, okay, let me use the negative side. If you don't have a problem of lying or stealing, and maybe you just lied to get yourself out of trouble one day, okay? And then you realize that oh, that felt really good. And then you start to lie because you liked the feeling the first time. When you lied the first time you ever lied and did that consciously, it was a sin, but it was a sin of the flesh. However, if you keep lying, you're going to attract the spirit of lying. So now, what you started in the flesh Two years down the line, you're going to decide, I'm going to stop lying. And you're not going to be able to stop. Because now there's spirit power behind the activity. Because your consistency in engaging in it, summoned, engage the spirit of it. See, that's the same thing with prayer. You may stop praying and not feel like praying. But the more you keep engaging, how many know the spirit of prayer is going to come? <laughs> And you're going to find yourself leaving the house to go and pray all night. Not because the pastor called the meeting, but because you have been engaging. You have been engaging. That consistency is like incense. You're building this altar and it's going to attract the Spirit of God there. And this is how we're going to possess territories. By raising up altars of prayer. Bethel is what this place was called. Do you know what Bethel is? Bethel is also known as the house of God. Now, let's look at another passage here. Oh, this is Jacob. When Jacob encountered the Lord, oh my goodness, I've actually written the passage down, but I've opened it up. It's in Genesis 28. Yes, Genesis 28, 10. So you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? So Jacob is like the grandson of Abraham. Jacob, I don't know if he met Abraham, but I doubt if he did. So he is in, in the context of the passage we're about to read. He's running away from, you know, his, his brother who is trying to kill him because he stole his brother's blessing. Oh, remember what we read in Genesis 12? God released a blessing, okay? So they had a real deep understanding of the blessing to the point where Esau was so mad at his brother, he was going to kill his brother because his brother stole his blessing, so the brother who stole the blessing did not know the texture of the blessing he'd stolen. Because he thought he was just doing himself a favor and stealing the blessing. But now that blessing he stole was going to regulate his life. Are you hearing me? Because there was a lot of sacrifice. There was a lot of history and what he received. He had no idea. So Genesis 28, 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. 
So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put his and put it at his head and he laid down in that place to sleep. Verse 12, Genesis 28, 12. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on earth and its top reached to heaven. The angels, and, and there the angels of the Lord were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father. I am the God of Isaac, See, at this point, God didn't say, I am the God of Jacob. He said, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the, because those two people we mentioned, they had already truly encountered God. They, they had built altars in their own lives. They, they had history with God. So this guy was on his pathway to discover God for himself. Some of you are here and you've only heard about God. You've only heard preachers like me talk about God and seem like on fire and go, well, I don't really get that. Maybe prayer is not my kind of thing. Until you have your own encounter, you are just going to be an echo and not a voice. You have to encounter God for yourself. You have to, because when things start to build up and persecution starts to come and people start to demanding that we die if we really do believe that Jesus is Lord because they can't stand us and we have to give our lives what we believe in, then we're going to know who really believes this stuff. Right now, you're scared because people are mocking you because you believe something different. How about when your life depends on it? If right now you can't stand for God, even if your friends are going to laugh at you and they put you on Sky News and laugh at you because you have a certain perspective and you believe the biblical values of on sexuality and you're so scared of what they're going to say about you. If we're so scared about that now, how are we going to stand in the day when our life depends on it? Now, I'm not saying we go out there and be bigots and horrible to people. I'm saying we need to examine the depth of our faith. And here... Jacob had, well, this was his first encounter. See, the apostles were able to die because they had encountered God. They were able to die for Jesus because they weren't lying about it. They weren't, was it Peter that was crucified upside down? He, he didn't do that just because he heard, you know, some guy talk about Jesus. He knew Jesus for himself. And until you know Jesus for yourself, you're not going to be able to die for what you believe in. You're just going to be another bench warmer. I don't know if people use that phrase anymore. You're going to be one of those that's just there in the church. Not really affected. It encounters that mark us. We are the product of God encounters. I am who I am right now because of encounters I have had with God. And until you start to have your own encounters with God, you're just going to come to church, come to prayer home, come to a nice meeting. And it doesn't translate. It doesn't become a deep conviction that even when you prayed for someone and they died, yes, you're still going. See, I understand, you know, I know we have healing meetings and we see lots of great evangelists and people, men of God, women of God who are praying for the sick. But oftentimes we don't talk about the other side where you pray and things don't happen and the worst things happen. See, and some people experience that. You pray for someone and they go worse and they died. And then because of that activity or because of that scenario, what happened there, people now lose their faith. Listen, and I don't mean this harshly, but if something like that causes you to lose your faith, it means you were in a shallow place all along. You never had anything deep. Because people who have gone deep with God, even when they can't explain 
the things happening around them, there's nothing in them that's going to cause them to give up. What did Peter say? You're the one that has the words of eternal life. You know, Jesus preached a crazy message to Jews. He says, eat my flesh. To Jews, he says, drink my blood. You know, Jesus is the great teacher and he didn't bother explaining himself. I mean, these days we kind of in the church thrive on being one who can explain and break down the word and bring clarity. But Jesus released such a deep, confusing, theologically word to the culture and he did not bother to explain. And then he turns to the disciples and says, are you also going to leave now? And then Peter says, where are we going to go? That's how you should be. You pray for someone, they died. You pray for this, it didn't happen. You pray for that job, you pray for a husband, they didn't come. And now you're how many years? Or you pray for a wife, nothing. Or you pray for this marriage and now it's falling apart. And you feel like things are shaking. You need to say, Lord, where else can I go? You better not have a plan B. (laughs) You better make God your plan A and no plan B. And let your faith go deep. Deep enough to weather the storms of life that will come. Because things are not always going to go great. I know we sang, you know, my praise is a weapon. There are times where you see your praise being a weapon and boom, there's an explosion. And then there are other times where you release your praise. It feels like nothing happens. And it feels like God is a thousand miles away. In those moments, are you still going to believe what he says about you? Or are you going to give up and go, these James and these all these preachers, they're just, they're just hype men. They don't really, yeah, this is all a lie. Are you just going to believe the lie? Or are you going to let this go deep enough so that you encounter God for yourself? I'm telling you, this is okay. Your personal encounter with God nothing would ever replace that and listen as you leave this place tonight let that be one of your deep desires Lord and many of you in this room have already encountered God but listen there's still more encounters to have because we're meant to be transformed into his image and that's the process of encounter seeing him face to face you know beholding his face like in a mirror that's encounter so encounter changes us. Now, Jacob was about to have his, well, he was having his encounter, but his encounter came in a dream. Verse 14, also your descendants, okay, actually, I'm not going to read on, I'll just read verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Okay, and let's just fast forward. Verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, listen to what Jacob says, surely the Lord is in this place, I did not know it. And so he was afraid and says, how awesome is this place? Listen to this, this is none other than what? The house of God and what? The gate of heaven. Listen to what Jacob says, this is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. So Jacob is running away from his brother and he comes upon this place that he thinks is just a random decision that he made to just lay there, but he didn't choose the place. The place chose him. Because remember, he's carrying the blessing and that blessing was regulating his movement. And because his grandfather, remember, in that same location built an altar. That altar still had a voice. And here he is running away from trouble and it gets to a place he thinks, see some of you are here today, you don't understand that some prayers have led to your coming here. 
In fact, some of you think there were no prayers because maybe your parents weren't Christians and you think there's no much kind of faith in your bloodline. You'd be surprised to know maybe in your bloodline there was a great-great-grandfather, a great-great-grandmother that gave some intense sacrifice. And you have no idea about it. You think, well, your parents weren't Christian. Maybe your grandparents weren't Christian. And yet you find yourself with this passion. You have no idea that you're probably being regulated by a blessing in the bloodline because of the sacrifice they paid. And now you're finding yourself giving yourself to prayer. It's not just all about you. There's a lot that's gone on before you got here. Jacob had no idea what was going on in the realm of the spirit. He just came upon this place and he laid his head there. But he had no idea he was not just laying his head on a stone. He was laying his head on an altar. And if you read my book, I talk about not just going to hotel rooms and laying your head on a pillow and going to sleep. Because you may think you're just laying your head on a pillow, but you don't know what altar was in that place before you got there. So you lay your head there and guess what? You enter into the spirit or whatever was going on there before you got there. Negative or positive? Here's the positive experience where Jacob enters into a spiritual experience and this is not just a dream because even in the encounter, the Lord is referring to the place where he's lying. Okay? And... The Lord is talking about things that were, that were uh, relative to him in that moment. So what happened to Jacob was he entered into another dimension where he was able to really see the spirit realm. Right now, you are in the spirit realm, but we can only mostly see in the physical if you were to enter, just like tune in a radio receiver to the radio frequency, if you were to tune into the spirit waves in this room, just like Jacob, you would start to see what is really going on. So that ladder was there before Jacob got there. Why was that ladder there? Now look at this. Okay. Jacob awoke. Wait, 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 wait. There's, there's, a, there's a place I'm looking for here. That's Okay. Okay, he dreamed a dream and behold, there was a ladder. Look at the verse 12. Jacob dreamed a dream and behold, there was a ladder. Listen to this. The ladder was set up. Let me read it carefully. I'm reading New King James. The ladder was set up on the earth. The ladder was not set up in heaven. Are you hearing me? The guy who built this altar was Abraham. And this altar we're talking about is the altar where he called on the name of the Lord. See, you look at all the other altars Abraham built and they're all significant. But this was the one that the Lord highlighted for Jacob. Because I think it's critical for us as we want to be people that possess territories for God and advance the kingdom of God. Abraham engaged in such a potent spiritual activity that with his altar building on the earth, he initiated spiritual activities. And look at what happens. He says, the angels were ascending and then descending. He didn't say the angels were descending. Are you? (laughs) So what was triggering the motion was where? On the earth. He set up that altar there because of his hunger in crying out to the Lord. And so he set up spiritual traffic. And when there's traffic, there is a city. You don't go, you don't see traffic just in random places. 
When you see traffic, there is activity because they, so what this points out to me was, is that Abraham's altar building almost set up a spiritual city. Now we go to the New Testament. Jesus says, I will build my church. And what? The gates of hell will not prevail. Now here, Jacob had this encounter. He says, this is none other than what? The house of God. The what? The gates of heaven. So it was an altar, but above it was, a, for lack of a better word, I'm not new age, but you got to understand this. It was a portal. Because it wasn't like the angels were climbing up the ladder, like you would climb a ladder. They were ascending. And so it was a portal that opened up in that space. And they, uh, what's it? Uh, Jacob said, there is a gate here to heaven. This is the, so you, your church cannot just be called the house of God if there's no gate there to heaven. And what qualifies your church to have a gate to heaven is that there's an altar there that calls on the name of the Lord. That's why the Lord says in Isaiah 56, 7, my house. What Jacob said, this is none other than the house of God. God now says, my house will be what? A house of prayer for all nations. Because in the house of prayer, you erect an altar and you set up angelic traffic and you actually start to colonize the region. Are you hearing me? In the spirit realm. Now, this is the crazy thing. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Just like heaven has gates, hell has gates. Guess what? And hell has altars that service those gates. So when we come to a city like Manchester or we come to a city like London or you New York, wherever you're watching from, California, and you want to invade that territory with the kingdom of God, remember hell has altars and hell has gates. And in hell's gates, get what? There's also demonic traffic. Angel, demonic beings descending and ascending. And oftentimes they're humans that service those altars. So when we want to invade a city with the gospel, we want to invade a city with prayer, we got to realize that the potency of our altar must exceed every other altar in the region. Otherwise, we're not going to gain spiritual authority over that region. So you see why we could have church meetings but not have impact? Because the altars of wickedness are stronger than the altars in the church. Because the church are coming for entertainment. They're coming, the church, I, I've been saying this the last few weeks, the church has become a nursery where babies are being fed. As opposed to a barracks where warriors are being bred. Babies want bottle, not battle. And if we're going to colonize this region, then there has to be an altar. And to service the altar, listen, there has to be long prayers. 
our British churches, I don't know about American churches, our British churches don't understand the context of long prayers. We want too many five-minute prayers. If we're going to spiritually colonize this region, we're going to have to step into a whole new realm of prayer that will cause us to be able to have what I call staying power. Three hours, four hours, five hours, six hours, and we're able to push. Now, as I'm counting the hours, some of you are going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. I've never prayed for more than 30 minutes. Well, this is not to discourage you. I'm here to say to you, you are a warrior. You have that potential in you. And I'm telling you, you will not be able to gain spiritual influence over your family, break the holes of darkness, gain spiritual influence over your communities without spiritual stamina that enables you to push deep in prayer for hours. Because you know those on the dark side who are servicing the altars that link to hell? They're waking up in the middle of the night. They're fasting while you're feasting. And they are so focused on breaks. They are more serious about things of the spirit than you are. How are we going to shift the balance of the spirit realm in terms of the influence of darkness over a region? When the Satanists and the warlocks are more submitted to Satan than we are to God. How can we, see he says about punishing every disobedience after our obedience is complete. We cannot take authority over an enemy that has gained inroads into our own lives. And so there is a call. See, these are the three ingredients. I believe that God is going to say, and I finish right now because we need to pray. In fact, can I get the band up? These are the three ingredients that God is calling us to lay hold of in order to truly build altars. And the reason why I'm sharing this message is over the last few weeks, I've just been feeling this stirring in my heart that as a ministry, and I know it's not just about prayer stone, but this is what God's called us to do, so I'm going to talk about this. We are called to open up the prayer shaft. We're called to create spiritual highways such that revival can land. And to do that kind of stuff, we need to be strong in spirit. With these three things, long prayers, fasting, blazing holiness. Long prayers, fasting, blazing holiness. You see, the church is supposed to be the house of God. But you see, there's another dimension of revelation here because God now says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So in reality, you are a mobile altar. Your body is the temple. So God, make me a house of prayer. I want to I wanna build altars. I want to be the altar that when I walk into a place, because I have shifted the realms of the spirit, it's like I am the open heaven as I walk in that place. Those kind of things don't happen unless you're a person that has spiritual stamina and stature. Like I said, the British, the English church, I don't know about the American church, but I'm going to talk about the English church, wherever church you're in. One of the things I believe we're lacking is the stamina 
to push deep in the spirit. And so if we don't build this stamina, we're going to keep having church meetings. And by the way, because crowds have gathered, doesn't mean God is moving. Because with a good business kind of mind, marketing skills, communication skills, good worship band, you can gather a crowd. And if by any chance you're watching me or you're here, you're in this room, and your ministry is growing, and you've been experiencing influence, and the ancient landmarks of fasting, prayer, holiness, are not at the core of your personal life and ministry, it means something else apart from the Holy Ghost is sponsoring your growth. And on the final day of judgment, when the Lord tests your works, I'm telling you, your works will not survive His blazing eyes of fire. Because from the days of Jesus and the days of John the Baptist to the days of the apostles, the kingdom has always advanced in the same way. Long prayers, fasting, blazing holiness. I don't care how good a communicator you are and how amazing your church band is. If these things are not at the core of your church life and people are coming, something else is bringing them. Because the church God is building that will release revival will be a church that can pray. And oftentimes we go into our church services and we say, let's pray. And as the pastor or the leader says, let's pray, 95% of the churches and the places I've been to, when I go there and say, let's pray, you can feel the lack of stamina. Maybe there might be one or two people that you, you by the way, I'm not even talking about volume. However, sometimes it does affect volume, but it's not all about that. We say, let's pray. You can feel that people are just weak because they've not been doing it at home. If you don't pray at home, why are you going to pray here effectively? If, if you're not a soldier, how are we going to be an army? And an army is going to take over a region. That means you need to be a soldier. That means you need to have stamina. That means you need to be able to pray more than 30 minutes. And you might say, oh yeah, so it's all about the quality, not the quantity. That is true. But when you truly have quality, that quality is going to spill over into quantity. And sometimes for you, this is my experience, in order to step into real quality of spiritual experience, you need to invest a lot of quantity. Because, I don't know about you, for me, it takes a while to break out of the flesh. Because sometimes the first hour, I'm still trying to fight going to the fridge. (laughs) The next hour, then I'm trying to get through my to-do list. The next hour, then I'm trying to calm down my emotions. Because everything in the flesh is just fighting to get away from that place. But we have to grow in the staying power. If we're going to be people of encounter and we're going to erect altars that colonize a region with the kingdom of God, we have to become like Abraham who are going to pave spiritual pathways in search of our spiritual inheritance. Now we're not going to let go until he comes. Thank you for listening to the Prayer Storm podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at prayerstorm, all one word. Find us on YouTube as well. We put up regular teachings and worship sessions and prayer nights on there. Don't forget James's new book, Life on Fire, at prayerstorm.org. The link is also in the description.